0: Well, good morning, Mission Hill Church. Happy Father's Day. Thank you, Pastor Paul, for inviting me to open up God's Word. I'm so honored. And hey, can we put our hands together for the fathers as the smokers are going, as the girls are firing up, as the golf courses are filling out all through Florida, you're here in church. So God bless you. Thank you for being here today. I'm really excited that we are going to unpack one of the most familiar and longest parables of Jesus in all of the scriptures, the parable of the prodigal son. Some call it the parable of the lost son. And I'm excited to unpack this portion of scripture this morning because it had such a profound impact on my life and my early walk with the Lord. So 11 years ago, I went to a church I walked into the front door of that church, and I was disinterested in being there. I, did, I wanted to run as fast as I could, and I kind of made and weaved my way through the lobby, trying to avoid as many people as I could, so I could sneak in and get a seat in a pew. So I made my way in, and even as I'm sitting there, people are still walking up to say hi to me. I attended there when I was a child, so everyone was shocked I was even back, and I'm thinking, when is this service going to start? And so, thankfully, by God's grace, the music began, the service started to go, and I just let the moment wash over me. I wasn't singing, I wasn't engaging, I just stood up and took it all in and looked at what was happening. But I was not prepared for what God was about to do in and through my life as the pastor of that church got up and began to preach God's Word. I walked out of that service that morning and thought, hey, that wasn't that bad, maybe I'll come back next week. And I came back again and again and again, and about the fourth or f- fifth week that I was in that church, I began to sense God stirring something deep in my heart in that when that pastor would get up and open the Bible and begin to preach Jesus' words, his preaching ministry was mainly rooted in the parables of Jesus, his stories and lessons that helped us to understand and illustrate the character of God the Father. My life was so completely gripped by Jesus. I was fascinated by him. He interested me. I wanted to know more and more about Him. I wanted to experience what He was teaching and calling me to do more intimately. And so in that season, I began to study the Word. I began to study to make sure that the resurrection of Jesus actually happened. I began to study theology to understand more of what this all meant and what Christians truly believed. And in that season, God used all of those things to save me by His grace and help me to recognize how desperately I needed Him. But one of the Sunday mornings, I went into that church, the pastor got up, opened the Bible, and began to preach to the parable that we're about to read. And as he did that, it was like the Bible came alive, the words were coming off of the pages, and I thought, is this pastor preaching this sermon directly to me this morning? Because I feel like he was. If you had that moment before, it was like that moment for me, and I thought, I am the prodigal son. My whole life has been wasted away by sin. I am literally at the lowest point of my life, and I identify with a brother who is in the dirt and the muck at the bottom of that pigsty that he found himself in. And then the story changed to talk about the father. And when I heard the love of the father, I knew I want this. I need this. And God used that season of my life to change me. And what I can see looking back now is in that season of my life, when God saved me in my early walk, I most closely identified with the brother because my life reflected his experience. But as I began to grow in the Lord and as I began to become more sanctified in Jesus, I began to look more like the older brother. I began to look around at college at a time where I was trying to honor God, serve him, and follow him, when many, many people around me weren't. I thank God for godly people that he placed in my life to pour into me. But my friends, the people who had seen the transformation that happened in my life in that season, weren't walking with God. And so I slipped into this mentality over time where I thought, well, God, I'm doing this, 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 and this for you. Can you do this? And can you do that when I want it? And I learned in that time that God doesn't work that way. Everything that I have received of God is a product of His grace. And now years later, as I've walked more and more with the Lord, I look at this portion of Scripture, and my attention and focus is drawn to the heart of the Father. I'm most fascinated by the Father because ultimately what I know is that Jesus is using this story to help illustrate the heart of His Father, the Heavenly Father, the Father of everyone who has confessed that Jesus is Lord and believed in their heart that God raised Him from the dead. That Father is the Father of this story. And so here's what I'm encouraged by today. I look out at this room, and I see a room full of men who have spent their life trying to reflect the glory of this Father, They've spent their life trying to raise up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and lead them to God. So what I'm going to express to you today and what I'm going to unpack this morning is really an affirmation of what God's already doing in your life. But as I look within my own life, personally and in my faith, I recognize there's always room to grow. There's always room to press in deeper to God. And so I'm going to lay a truth before you that you know encourage you in it today, and call all of us as men and fathers to follow it. And that is this, fathers, lavish your family with the love of the heavenly father. That is my calling upon your life and my life today. And what I'm going to be answering this morning is how do we do that? Because it's easy to hear a statement like that and say, oh, I, I understand that in theory, but how do I practically do that in my life and being a father? And what we're going to see before we leave today is that a father who models the heart of our heavenly father responds to the needs of their children and their spouses, restores brokenness in families when it arises, and rejoices as each person in their family responds to the grace and the mercy revealed in Jesus Christ throughout their lives. So I want to read for you the parable of the prodigal son. We're going to pray and we're going to dive in. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 15, And we're going to pick up in verse 11. This is what the Word of God said. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough in despair, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it. Let us eat and be merry for this. My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost in his fountain, and they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field, and he came and drew near to the house, and he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he asked them, and he said to him, your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Let's go to the Lord in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. God, I thank you for the power of your word. And Lord, I thank you that at a moment in my life, you saved me as a prodigal. God, I thank you that you've led me as an obedient, self-righteous brother. And God, I thank you that you've drawn me back to your heart. Lord, I thank you for the men that are in here who have walked that journey as well. And Father, as we open this text one more time, we ask that you would help us to learn, help us to understand and teach us how to lavish your love upon our families. Lord, we love you. We're trusting that you're gonna move in this place, and we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we pick up this morning and as we read the parable of the prodigal son, the only way to truly understand this parable is to place our mind in the context in which it was written, the nation of Israel. So, the time that this was written is very, very different than the times that we're living today. For the first time in all of human history, in Western culture, we're told that we can create our own identity. We can create our own truth. We're encouraged to pick how we want to understand the world. But in this culture, as Jesus is speaking to it, it is a culture that drew their identity from their family. And the family had been instituted by God to respond to His commandments and His law. And so a perfect family in this culture would be one that raised their children up to know God and obey His commandments. And what we'll see in just a little bit is that this father had raised his, both of his sons to do that. And so in this moment, as we pick up and as the son is coming to his father, asking him to give him the portion of his inheritance, it is the biggest slap in the face imaginable and the biggest betrayal that we could think of for this son to come to his father and do that. It would be painful for his father to receive the words that his son brought to him. And for this to happen, based upon the law of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 17, the father would have to give a third of his entire estate to his son in this moment. So what the son is saying is, Father, you have labored and toiled and worked and grinded it out your whole life to have this estate to provide us a future and security, but I know better than you, and I want what I want right now, and I know better than you. It'd be hard to receive those words from the father. And what Jesus as a master teacher is doing is not only setting the stage for the story, but he's also helping use the story as a reflection in a mirror for us to look at the hearers of that time and us today of what this story means for our own lives. We're picking up focusing on these brothers, but ultimately this story is helping us to understand that at at every single point of our lives, we have been prodigals. At some point in our life, As Christ followers, if we know the Lord Jesus Christ and he's changed us by his grace, we've rejected God. And the reason we've rejected him is because there may have been a moment where we experienced his character, we experienced his love, we experienced his mercy and was drawn to him because of those things. But there comes a time where we look past his face and instead we want him to give us things. We worship him not for who he is, but what he can do for us. And in this moment, the son is treating his father in the same way. And in those moments that we come to the father in that way, there are times where God gives us the sinful desires of our heart so that we can come to the end of ourself. Listen again to what it says in verse 13. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. So, knowing what's about to happen, the father still gives him the third of the estate, and the son goes and quickly blows it all on sin and foolish living. And he comes to the end of himself, and he's at the lowest moment of his life. As I open this story this morning, I'm looking around the room at men and fathers, and I know that this story can be painful for you because your children are prodigals. You've spent your whole life pouring into your children for them to know God just in the way that this father did, and they've rejected you in the same way in the God that you serve. Here's my encouragement to you today as we begin this story. Never give up hope on the prodigal in your life. Never stop praying for them, Never stop seeking after them. Never stop leveraging your life and your time and your talents and your resources to seek after them because I am confident that if you do these things and model the love of the Father in their life, there can be a moment where God reaches into their life and draws them back to himself just like he does in the prodigal in this story. At the lowest moment in this prodigal's life, he comes to himself and he remembers his father. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So at the lowest moment in this brother's life, he's in a pigsty, has nothing to eat, and he remembers his father. And when he thinks about the memory of his father, he remembers specific things about him and who he was. The first thing that he remembers is that the father was blessed by God. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough? So based upon the truth of the book of James, what we recognize is that every good and perfect gift is from above, from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of changing. So every good thing that we have in this life, every type of resource, Everything that we own, even though we've labored for it, is ultimately a gift of God. So, the son is looking back in the experience of his life, remembering the estate that he grew up on and the family that raised him, and he's saying, my father was blessed by God. But it goes even deeper than that. He not only remembers that the father was blessed, he remembers that the father was generous. How many of my father's servants have bread enough and to spare? And so, What that means is that the father and the servants that he had hired to work that land, not not only were their needs met, also their wants, because the father went above and beyond. He gave them enough food to not only meet their needs, but for there to be left over. And so the son remembers that he was a generous father. And the son, based upon those two truths, stakes the claim that if I go back and throw myself on my father, maybe he'll be merciful. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion on him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Church, aren't you glad that this is the way that God responds to us? Aren't you glad that this is the way that God receives prodigals? Yeah, put your hands together. God receives those who are far from him in this way when we draw back to him. And the son believed that the father would receive him in this way, and he did. He had compassion on him. He ran and fell on his neck, and the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and no longer worthy to be called your son. Fathers, here's my first challenge to you this morning, my first encouragement. Love your families with a response of love. Love your families with a love that responds to the needs of your children when, they, when it immediately arises. When they come to you and they want your attention, they want your affection, they want your focus, they want your love, respond to them immediately in the moment and don't wait another. That is what the father in this story does. And reading the text, it seems natural, of course, of course the wayward son would come up and the father would respond. But there's more to the story at play here. The father, as I said before, is the manager of a large estate. He has a large parcel of land, he has servants that he's attending to and caring for that are taking, that need to be taken care of as well. He most likely has a wife in this story because he has two sons. And he has an obedient brother who stayed behind to take care of his needs that he could have given his focus and attention to in that moment. But instead, in the moment that his son comes running to him, he drops everything and runs after him. In the same way, Our Heavenly Father, who is the manager of the largest estate you could ever imagine, who spoke the universe into existence, who upholds all things by the word of His power, who is the one who everything rises and falls, and for everything to have its existence depends on this Father when we draw to Him by faith through grace, in Jesus Christ drops everything and draws near to us. That is the love of the Father that we serve. And it's the love of the Father that we should show to our children. Here's what I know, fathers. I know you work hard. I know you work long hours. I know your attention is pulled in a million different directions. But when our families come to us and need us, let's drop everything and press into them. Recently, I learned how important this was. My daughter Ella is about two and a half now, she's a talker. And really quickly, as she was developing and growing, she picked up on a lot of words. She would just say things, I'm like, how did you remember that? How do you, you know, how did you hear that? Of course it was from us. And a few months ago, she started stringing sentences together. And so each night I leave work here and I go home and my my routine is to get home, to change into something more comfortable. And then I try to give my full focus and attention to my family and I often do that imperfectly. And there are times where just because of demands with work, things that God, are do, that God is doing in and through here, I have to press that aside for a moment and pick up my phone to respond to an email or a call or a text, and my attention is drawn off of my family for a moment. So before my daughter could talk, now I know what she was trying to do. She would come up to me, pulling my leg while I'm on the phone, lift up her arms, and I'm like, okay, I'll get to it. I love you, Ella. I'll be with you in just a moment. But she put me in my place when a few months ago I was on the phone. She comes up, pulls on my leg and goes, daddy, look at me. And yeah, my my heart melted in the moment, and then the next second deep conviction set in because I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing? This is what she's been trying to get my attention for for months, and I've been overlooking that and casting that to the side. Here's what I want to encourage you with today, fathers, and what I'm going to commit to do over the next seven days. When I get home, I'm going to give my full attention and focus to my family and give them what they need because that is what my heavenly father does to me, and that is what our heavenly father does to you when you call out to him. So join me in doing this. Let's do this and journey along together. And in the moments that I'm distracted or the moments that I fail, I am going to believe that God is going to meet my lack and supply my need because he's gracious to do it. And here's what I know. When we step out in that way and we live and love our families in this way, it's going to feel so good. It's going to feel amazing. We are going to feel ecstatic at moments because that is the way that God has called us to love our families. But it's not going to come without difficulty. We live in households of broken, sinful people. And there are going to be tensions that rise up at moments. And the reason that I know that, because I've experienced that in my own life, but the scriptures make clear in verse 25 to 30 that those moments are waiting just around the corner. So draw your attention with me back to the text. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant, and he said to him, your brother has come, and because he he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, lo, these many years I have been serving you, I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Fathers, here's my next encouragement to you today. Give your family a restorative love. In the moment that a party should be breaking out, The people should be merry, The family should be excited. The older brother is in the field and he's angry when he comes close because he realized that the father had received the prodigal son back into his home. The son who had squandered his father's wealth, the son who had wasted it on sin, and the son who now is receiving the favor of his father that he desired. Here's what I know, fathers. Some of you are in the room and you've grown up in households where a situation like this happened. Maybe someone said something and rocked the boat. Maybe something went down, and rather than stepping in to restore the situation like we're going to see in a moment when the father declares a word over his family to redeem them, instead you saw maybe a father or a grandfather or a male leader in your family sweep the situation under the rug rather than address it in the moment. It never works out. Never underestimate your power to redeem your family by stepping in the brokenness and stepping in the awkward situations to redeem your family with your word. Never underestimate the power of a gospel-centered, Bible-filled, spirit-saturated word that you can speak over your family to draw them back to the truth and redeem your family as you step out in faith. So here's my encouragement, fathers. Fight for your families. Redeem your families Draw your families back to the truth of God and watch as he uses this to change them. Look at what it says in verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So in this moment, he's trusting in faith that all he can rely on is his word and the God that he serves and the, the biblical truth that he knows, and he calls out to them to draw him back into the family. And what happens in this moment is that God uses that word and changes his family for forever and draws the brothers back into the fold of God and into his family. God uses that moment of faith in the word that he speaks over them to save his family. And what the father models for us in this moment is how we can step in as believers and redeem our family's fathers in the same way with our words. So in this moment, the, brother, the, the father comes out to address the older brother, and he leads in by bringing a word of affirmation. So in this moment, he addresses the brother, and he helps him to remember both his identity and the family that he was raised, and also the loyalty that the father has to him. So the father comes to him, he says, my my son, you are mine. You are a part of my family. You're always going to be with me. I've never withheld anything from you. Everything that I have is yours. So he's reminding him of his identity, but at the same time, the father is expressing his loyalty to him to make Him secure in Him. In the same way, when we are in Christ, the Father speaks those words over us. And then a moment after the Father reminds the Son of His identity in Him, He brings a word of correction. He says, son, you have it all wrong. We should be rejoicing. There should be a party going on because your son was dead and now he is alive. He was far away and now he's brought back. He is our family, again, so we should shout and we should rejoice and we should praise God for the work that He has done. And what you'll see, if you study the Scriptures over and over and over again, this is a model for how people address issues of conflict. Listen to what happens in Colossians chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, when Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, a church that he had helped plant, a church that he had helped establish, and a church that he had helped become firmly rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church starts strong, but like many of these letters that we see, Paul hears the news that the church is beginning to drift away from the gospel to another. And false teachers are seeping into the church, and they're trying to tell people things that are contrary to the gospel of grace that we know in Jesus. And this is what he writes to the church in Colossae, for I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, And for many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ." As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him. And establish in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. So in the same way... Paul is bringing a word of affirmation to this church. He said, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So he's making it clear. This wasn't a delusion in your mind when you received Christ. It wasn't a falsehood. You are in Jesus Christ because you have received him by grace through faith, and he has transformed you, and now you are the family of God. He's affirming that in him, and he's reminding them that because of that truth, God is loyal to you. God is always going to be with you but that doesn't mean that you can't fall into error. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. So fathers, this is a model for us for how we can redeem our families, bringing a word of affirmation and affirming the identity of our children, the loyalty we have to them before we bring the word of correction. And I'm gonna help us out a little here, fathers, and make it a little bit easier for us in those moments when you step out to restore your family, you don't have to come up with some empty wisdom to give your children. You don't have to muster up something that's going to change their hearts because you can't. Ultimately, what Jesus is doing and what Paul is doing and what you can do as well is draw your children back to the truth of God revealed in the Scriptures. That's what Paul is doing in this moment. And not only that, Paul is reminding his children in the faith, this church, of the faithfulness of God. And then finally, he caps it all off by bringing a word of affirmation and correction. And he helps this church move forward into greater days pursuing God. This is so important for us to do. It's uncomfortable, but it's a necessity if our families are going to flourish and thrive under our leadership as we submit to Christ. Years ago, I learned how important this was as I was in St. Louis, and as my cousin came down to visit us, my family in St. Louis from Chicago, it's where I was born, and one day we packed up and loaded in a car as a family and went to a nature preserve to go for a hike. And as we began to walk in this nature preserve, my cousin and my sister and I went off on our own as my parents and some of my other family members hung back. And I felt blindsided as my cousin began to just pour out her heart and open up about how she had felt abandoned by our family and how she was isolated living with her alcoholic mother. My family would go back about once a year to visit my family in Chicago. And when we would go back, we'd have family dinners and and parties to celebrate. But while we were there, my aunt would drink too much at times, but it never hit home that this could be a daily struggle in her life. But in this walk, as my cousin is pouring out her heart, I realize this is way worse than we thought. So at the end of that walk, I approach my father, I go back, and it begins a discussion of what we're gonna do about this. And the end result of that conversation was for my mom and my dad to load up their car to drive from St. Louis to Chicago and sit down with my grandparents as they pulled my aunt into their room and had an intervention. They sat down, They called her lovingly to turn from that sin in her life and to begin to walk forward in a different way. But unfortunately for my aunt, and unfortunately for my family, it was too little too late. Over the next two years, her life spiraled more and more and more out of control with her drinking until one night, as she was drunk, she fell and hit her head and died in her apartment alone. It's a terrible story to hear, it's heartbreaking. Changed our family forever. But one of the saddest things about that story, as I look back and think, what would have happened if 20 or 30 years ago, my father or my grandfather had stepped in to try to restore my family with their love and continue to seek after my aunt? What if they brought a word, just like I was talking about, to speak over her life, to draw her back from her sin and bring her back to our family? My whole family would look completely different my whole family would be new. But today, things are different. Things are broken in my family. So here's what I want to encourage you with, fathers. When you take the step of faith, just like this father in this story, to step out in this way, God's going to honor that. You're going to see restoration. You're going to see victory. You're going to see breakthrough. And ultimately, what you're going to see as a family submitting to God is you are going to rejoice as your children and your spouse grow more and more and more in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's my last encouragement to you today, fathers. Give your family a rejoicing love. Give your family a love that rejoices over them as they grow in their knowledge of Jesus. Give your family a love that sees how God is working in their life and wants to just shower your praise and lavish your love upon them because you recognize that that affirms them in their walk with Christ. In moments, seeing my daughter growing up now, as she's beginning to memorize scripture verses, as she's beginning to sing songs that the words don't always string together, as she's beginning to step out and take little steps of faith, in my own insecurities as her spiritual leader, I sometimes question the meaning of Continuously rejoicing over her. I'm asking myself, man, how am what I'm doing right now making an impact on her life? But what I've realized over and over and over again is there's no greater calling and there's no greater act as a father in the Lord to rejoice over your children, to celebrate what God's doing in their life, to celebrate how they're stepping out on their own and celebrating what God is doing in, in and through them. When your children grow in Jesus, and they begin to understand the gospel, that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, came to the earth to live a perfect life, a life that you and I could never live. As they begin to realize that Jesus Christ walked that life and never sinned, and as they begin to realize that Jesus ultimately went to the cross to die, to absorb God's wrath against sin upon himself, and then rise three days later from the dead conquering sin and death, there's no greater thing that we can celebrate in our life. So as you go back this week, celebrate over your children. Celebrate what God is doing in and through their life, and you'll experience a joy unlike anything you've ever felt before. I experienced this in my life in that church years ago on one Sunday as we were worshiping, as the Word of God had been preached, and in our response time, We sang a song. I had never heard it before, but it impacted me in a deep way. And in the moment that I sang it, I recognized that as I was rejoicing and as I was worshiping God, the angels in heaven and God himself was worshiping over me because he was drawing me back into his family and he was making me his child. Listen to the words of my Redeemer lives. It says, I know he rescued my soul. His blood has covered my sin. I believe, I believe. I believe. My shame, he's taken away. My pain is healed in his name. I believe, I believe. I'll raise a banner because my Lord has conquered the grave. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. Woo! I know he rescued my soul. His blood has covered my sin. I believe, I believe. My shame, he's taken away. My pain is healed in his name. I believe, I believe. I'll raise a banner because my Lord has conquered the grave. My My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives. When I was in that church, there was this feeling that I can't even describe that washed over me that felt so good as I recognized that as I rejoiced on God, God was rejoicing over me because I was now His child in Jesus Christ. Fathers, we must rejoice over our children. We must celebrate what God is doing in His life. And what I realized in the church all those years ago is the greatest way that God has ever lavished His love upon me, the greatest expression of His love that I could ever receive was all found in the cross of Jesus Christ. I realized that in that season of my life, God restored my brokenness, He responded to me in my greatest moment of need, and He rejoiced over me when I accepted Him and what He did on the cross by grace through faith in His Son. And he changed my life forever. We have that opportunity today, fathers, to step out in that way and to once again remember what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. We have that opportunity once again to receive his grace in a powerful new way and watch as he uses us to lavish his love upon our children. As we close today, I want to draw our attention back one more time to the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus, the greatest teacher who's ever lived, contrasts two people in the story. The prodigal son and the obedient brother. The prodigal represented people all throughout the world who turn their back against God, they mock him, they malign him, they don't care, and they know that they're rejecting God. The obedient brother in the story represents those who are moralistic and self-righteous and believe that if they heap up enough good works or do enough good things that ultimately God will grant them his favor. But what Jesus is making clear is that both brothers in the story were condemned. There is a universal condemnation. Every person is separated from God because of their sin. And the only way to be made right in the sight of God is to just like the prodigal son, run and cast and fall upon the father and receive him and what he's already done for him, trusting that he would bring him back into the family of God. That is our only hope. That is the only thing that we can do. And the Apostle Paul recognized this too. Listen to what he writes in Galatians chapter 3, verses 10 to 14. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all the things which are written in the book of the law to do them. But that no one is justified by the law, and the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by faith. So Paul is addressing in here, those who are the older brother in your heart, you are condemned. Because if you are trying to earn your way into heaven, if you're trying to make yourself justified in God's sight through the works of the Mosaic law, if you break one commandment, you're done. You're guilty in the sight of God. You can't do anything to help yourself. But, listen to what he says. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So he's addressing the prodigal now. He's saying, your only hope, you who have turned your back against God, the only hope that you have, you who have cast God aside, is for to receive him by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And what he says is, when you do this, you will receive the blessing of Abraham. What does that mean? At the beginning of time, when God established his covenant with Abraham, he told him, you will be a father of many nations. And one day, you're going to bless not only Jews, but Gentiles because of your lineage. And the promise of the blessing that he gave to Abraham is that one day, every person everywhere would have the chance and the opportunity to be justified by grace through faith alone in Jesus' finished work on the cross apart from works of the law. So this is the promise that we receive when we receive the Father. Jesus died on the the cross. Jesus died on the tree. Jesus became a curse for us so that we can receive him and at that point, that Father who is once our enemy, the God of all, becomes our spiritual Father. That is what Jesus has done for us. Jesus died on the cross so that you can have a heavenly Father. Jesus died on the cross so that you, your children, can have a heavenly Father. And Jesus died on the cross so that you can have the power to lead them in your own brokenness and sin to the Father who will never fail Him. Our Lord Jesus Christ and His Father. So fathers, I believe in you. I'm proud of you. I don't have all the answers. I'm a broken person, and I every day want to be a better father. But what I can tell you is I'm excited to walk this journey with you. I'm excited to imperfectly draw back to the father who has changed my life and who has changed your life as you are in Christ over and over and over again as we strive together to lead our, ch- our children closer to God. Let's go to the Lord in a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning, and God, we thank you for what we learned through your scripture. God, we thank you that you've lavished your love on us through your son, Jesus Christ, through his life, his death, and his resurrection from the dead. God, I thank you for every person that is in here, God, that at some point has called out to you to save them. Whether they were a prodigal like me, or God, whether they were righteous, whatever it may be, God, I thank you that you have saved them. And Lord, I thank you for the men that are in this room that have spent the rest of their life leading their children to you. Father, I'm asking right now that you would bless them. God, I'm asking that as we walk forward together, arm in arm as brothers in Christ, that you would bless us as fathers. Lord, I thank you that you have brought people into this room today, God, that do not know you that are separated by you from their sin. And God, I thank you that the promise of the prodigal son that still rings true is that if they call out to you in faith, casting themselves on you, you will run to receive them. So Father, what I'm asking right now is that you would convict the hearts of many in this room and if there is anyone who is in here that does not know you, that you would show them their need for you today. If you are in this room and you know that you're separated from God because of your sin, I would ask that you would call out to God this morning as Father. I would ask that you would receive the blessing of Abraham by faith and recognize that it is only through what Jesus has done through his life and his death and his resurrection from the dead is enough to save you from your sin. If that is you, I want to invite you to respond to the gospel this morning. We do that by calling out to God in faith through prayer. And so if you need help, maybe you would pray something like this. Dear Lord, I need you. God, I recognize that I'm a sinner and I'm separated from you. God, I recognize that there's nothing that I could do in and of myself to save me. It's only what Jesus has done on the cross and his resurrection from the dead that can make me right in your sight. So, God, save me. Give me your spirit and help me to follow you the rest of my days. And I'll give you all the glory when I do. Amen. If you prayed that prayer this morning, you can trust the promise of God's word that you have been justified in His sight. And now you are a child in His family, just like the brothers in this story. I praise God for that. I celebrate what he's just done in your life. But I recognize that there are a room of fathers right now who know the father and who are tirelessly working to lead their children to Christ. Father, I, I know that there are people in this room, fathers, who their children are prodigals. And what I wanna do is just invite you for a moment. I wanna pray for you. If you're a father that heard this message today and you're saying to yourself, I wanna lead my family in that way, I want to lead my family to the heart of the Father. I want to lead my family day in and day out to God and perfectly doing it every step of the way. I'm going to ask in a moment of boldness that you would just stand up. That you would just stand up. I'm not going to ask you to come forward, but I just want to take a moment to pray for you and ask God to shower his blessing. So if you are a father who wants to lead your children to Jesus Christ daily, I'm just going to ask in this moment that you would stand to your feet as I pray for you. Praise God. I thank God for you. Can we put our hands together for our fathers one more time? God bless you. I want to pray for you right now and ask that God would fill you with his spirit as you leave here to lead your children to him. Heavenly Father, I thank you for everyone that's on their feet right now. And God, I thank you for what they represent in my life. God, I see men in this room who I want to be more like. God, I thank you that they have spent their life seeking you. And God, I ask that you would bless them. Lord, I ask that you would give them sweet times with their children in the next weeks ahead. God, I ask for any father that's in here that has a prodigal dad, God, even in this week, you would stir their children's heart to their memory of their father on this earth, God. Help them to remember the moments that they loved them. Help them to remember the times that they poured their life into them. God, help them to remember how well they loved them. And God, I ask that you would use that to draw these children who are far from you to yourself. So God, I ask that you would pour your abundant blessings on them today. God, I ask that they would supernaturally feel your presence in this morning. And God, I ask that they would go forward ready to lead in this church and lead in this nation to draw children closer to you. God, we love you. And we ask all this in Jesus' name, amen.